We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. We are so happy to be here on what is essentially a special edition of the podcast. Since the Chargers are on Monday Night Football, obviously everything got pushed uh, back a day. And so uh, we decided to give an extra episode for you guys. My name is Steven. I'm the host. Uh, joining me as always are Alex and Tyler. Tyler, how you doing, man? I'm doing a lot better than Dak Prescott's ankle. How are you? Oh, so bad. Uh, so, so bad. Uh, obviously, thoughts and prayers out to him, man. That was, that was brutal to watch. Hopefully, he uh, is able to bounce back from this. Um, Alex, how are you doing today? Personally, man? I'm doing better than Yankees fans, and that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> better than Yankees fans, yeah. So, uh, baseball is a thing, I okay. guess. Well, <laughs> Uh, before we do start, though, I do want to say about quarterbacks, man, and, and, you know, I know this is a Chargers podcast, but, you know, it was so nice to see Alex Smith back out on the football field. Obviously, I'm a little biased towards him as, as a Utah alumni. Um, you know, he was the reason that I really, like, fell into fell in love with University of Utah football. And so um, I've always had, you know, a, a nice, you know, affiliation with with alex smith and and i've always rooted for him even when he was on the chiefs as much as that might pain some Chargers fans to hear um so seeing him just bounce back from this injury and you know i hope that dak prescott can have some similar circumstances but you know just seeing him bounce back and finish and then kyle allen was cleared medically and they decided to keep alex smith in so uh obviously very happy for alex and uh hopefully like i said dak can uh have some similar circumstances for him as well yeah, I really needed him to go in there because the Rams defense got me eight sacks. So it all worked, it worked out. He got his moment, and I got my fantasy points. <laughs> there you go. It's um, all of the fantasy points. The Washington QB situation is interesting because there were some rumors that they might uh, trade Haskins prior to the uh, trade deadline. So that's kind of interesting, given that he wasn't picked by this regime, and maybe some team picks him up and tries to develop him. I don't know. So, yeah, obviously, you know, the Dak Prescott stuff sucks and happy to see Alex Smith back. But 
Uh, it was a crazy day for Chargers news, man. I was flying back from St. Louis. I was, uh, you know, gone for the weekend to to have, see my brother in law's wedding, um, and <laughs> I get all these notifications once we land in Phoenix. And you know, Adam Schefter is saying that the Chargers have uh, been impacted by COVID, obviously, and even though they have no positive cases, just because of the Broncos and Patriots game. And um, so this schedule has has been changed massively. This is, was not just a simple swap like I kind of thought it would be, you know, just swapping uh, the, the Jaguars and the Broncos game. Uh, so the Chargers do have a bye next week, and then they'll play the Jaguars in Week 7, Broncos in Week 8, Raiders in Week 9, Dolphins in Week 10, and then the Jets in Week 11. So, um, you know, the Chargers had a Week 10 bye. That is obviously now in Week 6, and then they'll play 11 games in a row. Um, Tyler and I kind of feel the same way about this, that maybe having the buy next week is obviously a blessing in disguise. Alex maybe didn't share those same sentiments. Alex, what are your thoughts on the Chargers getting their schedule moved around and does this help or hurt them? I didn't love it because having the week 11, uh, and having the week 11 by originally, and instead of going 11 straight weeks, uh, I just thought that was a lot better than what they were, uh, what they're going to have to do now. And the Jets game after the Saints game, I think, served as kind of a buy in itself. So it's like, okay, even if they lose to the Saints, right, you can bounce back, probably rest Bosa, probably rest Ingram and other guys, and you can still get the win versus the Jets. Um, so I don't like the buy, and then, you know, they, they have Miami, which is a trap game. Uh, I think then Jacksonville is after that. Oh, no, no, it's Denver after that, right? So the, yeah. Uh, or I, I don't know what the order of the schedule is really anymore. Um, but I think it's uh, it's Miami, then Denver, or Denver, and they switch Jacksonville later. But, um, yeah, I just don't like it because now they have to go 11 straight weeks. Uh, and I, I just like the week. Uh, I, I like having the late buy better. And Anthony Lynn, at the same time, kind of builds his uh, you know team around that, right? Not building the team, but... Coaches do plan for when they have their buy, so I, I don't like that that that's being all thrown around. And it's like, okay, well, you have your buy next week, and then you got to play eleven straight weeks. So I, I just didn't like it from a coaching perspective, and also, uh, you know, an injury down the stretch perspective when they weren't expecting to play like this. Yeah, and that's totally fair. And just uh, to reiterate, it's buy, and then Jaguars, Broncos, Raiders, Dolphins, Jets. Um, Tyler, I know we, you know, me and you kind of had this conversation um, just via Twitter. You know, obviously playing eleven games in a row hurts, but the Chargers have so many guys that are injured that you know, long short term, you know, this might suck for the Chargers, but long term, I think having to buy next week ultimately benefits them. Uh, what are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I agree. I there's no like obvious one hundred percent win here, but I I do think that listen, if you're gonna even hope to make the playoffs, you got to get healthy early. And, you know, the Broncos truly are almost as difficult for the Chargers to beat as the Chiefs. And who knows? I mean, maybe it really would take more players to beat the Broncos, despite the fact that they've lost so many players. You know, maybe they do need some of these guys back just to make sure that's a win. What I'm hoping for is because the schedule has been so whack and because every fan's going, stop the games for a week, stop the games for a week, I'm hoping maybe... I don't know if the NFL is smart enough that they'll give another bye week later on. So the Chargers get an early bye. And then for some reason, because everything is really starting to kind of suck right now. I mean, the Chargers just, the schedule's all changed. I mean, that's just one team. Who knows what the Titans and the, the Patriots and the Broncos, all these teams, ugh, it's ridiculous. And so if they do take a late season, you know, buy almost like an all-star break kind of deal, you technically might get two buys in here. So I'd be curious to see how that goes. Um, and so, I mean, look, the Chargers have no cases right now. They might get a buy just because the other team is 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 in you know, has COVID issues or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I wish that the buy it's, it's tough. Both are you know both are good buys for different reasons. But right now, given the current state of the team, I think it's just it's just necessary. And you know they have they have to win these games. I, I personally don't think the Chargers will beat the Saints tonight if you're listening on Monday. So, you know, one and four, you've got to win these games. And they're going to need everyone, clearly. So, um, yeah, I, I guess the buy coming right now is is a blessing in disguise, I suppose, for now. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, if you lose against the Saints, 
you know, you can kind of recoup. But then again, if you win against the Saints, then your momentum's kind of stopped. Whereas, you know, with the previous schedule, you beat the Saints and then you have the Jets and then you have all these winnable games, right? So you can get some momentum going. So there's definitely a case to be made for, you know, both arguments. I think in general, you know, you mentioned the extra buy. The NFL took a ton, a ton of shit for how they did not plan for the coronavirus and specifically like training camp. And now it's going to happen again because you look at, you know, what college football was able to do. The ACC gave every single team two buys. Um, you know, the SEC has two buys as well. So the NFL kind of just saying, you know what, we're just going to stick to our guns and have the 16 game schedule and then we'll just figure it out down the road is honestly, it was really irresponsible and they should have made better plans for this. Now, Adam Schefter said that after next week, there's going to be like 18 teams that have had buys already. And that's just, it's just asking for more cancellations. You know, we saw in baseball, you know, the Marlins and the Cardinals had a bunch of cases and then they were able to kind of figure it out. But, you know, you don't have the same kind of flexibility with the NFL and with football. And so I think the NFL has handled this about as bad as possible. And if anyone thinks that this is just going to be the Titans that are going to have an outbreak, you're mistaken. Like, this is not going to be just a Titans issue. This is going to happen again with another team. And, you know, we've seen with the Patriots, all it takes is two or three cases and you have to reschedule a game and then it affects four other teams. So the NFL has really messed up on this. And, you know, I wish that I'm not saying that they should put a whole pause on the season, but I think they need to add a week 18 like Tyler mentioned, add another bye week for everybody, you know, have some more flexibility in terms of scheduling and, you know, just have a better plan for this than what they have shown to this point. Um, for me, one of the things that is kind of noticeable about the Chargers schedule is we talked about like maybe them having an extra bye down the road or some other team having a bye down the road. Um, like the Titans Bills game is scheduled for Tuesday still. Uh, and I don't yeah. expect that to hold. At the current moment, um, but you know, so the Chargers play the Bills later on in the season, so it's like, okay, well, if that gets pushed, does the Chargers game against the Bills get pushed somehow um, because of reconfiguring the schedule and all that? Uh, so that was just my thing in terms of looking at it from that angle. My suggestion for the last couple weeks regarding um, making the schedule has been, why don't they just? push the Super Bowl for like a month or push the playoffs for like a month. And then after that, you know, you can kind of just make a schedule or have basically four weeks in which you can insert games. Uh, I mean, it's sort of the same thing college football does, which is like they have a month between when the season end uh, ends and when bowl games start or like the season ends and the college football playoff starts. Um, So I, I just think they should really like just have a month at the end of the season where you can reschedule and plug these games in. Um, and I think that would make sense for the long run. Yeah. And ultimately the NFL just is going to have to show more creativity and, and you can't just keep saying, Oh, we're just going to keep canceling and pushing these games back and then altering schedules like this. Like it's, this is not a sustainable plan. I don't even think it's a plan. I think the NFL is just kind of winging it and you know, they got to figure it out right now. Mm-hmm. So in terms of good news for the chargers, uh, Michael Thomas is not playing tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, this is not injury related. Turns out he got in a fight with uh, Gardner Johnson, the the corner from Florida, and actually punched him in practice. So uh, Michael Thomas is essentially being suspended for tomorrow's game. Um, this matchup on paper for the Chargers defense is tough, but not having Michael Thomas out there makes it uh, certainly a little easier for the Chargers defense tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you said it right there. Nothing much more to say. I mean, not having Mike Thomas. You watch the Saints play the Raiders. And they just didn't look very good. If you can stop Kamara, you know, he's Breeze isn't chucking deep balls to Sanders. And I hope Traquan Smith goes off. He's on my fantasy team. But otherwise, like, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it helps a lot. I mean, you, you, one of the best receivers in the NFL is not playing. So there's nothing more to say, really. It's just helpful. Right. I think the big thing with Michael Thomas from a matchup standpoint is Casey Hayward hasn't been playing that great this season. So him having to go against, Emmanuel Sanders or Traquan Smith is is huge instead of going against Michael Thomas. And then that kind of, you know, goes down the pole to uh, Mike Davis uh, as well as Desmond King, right? So now instead of one of them covering Sanders or Traquan Smith, right, uh, because 
Hayward would be theoretically covering Michael Thomas, now their matchups get a little bit easier, right? Uh, so I think just the cumulative effect on the secondary is it's just kind of like a load uh, being taken off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that is for sure spot on. In terms of other Saints injuries, Jared Cook is questionable. That would obviously help a little bit more as well. Uh, it seems like he's going to play, though. He's been a limited participant all week. Uh, Marcus Davenport, the edge rusher opposite of Cameron Jordan, looks like he's going to make his debut as well. He is questionable, um, but he's been limited all week as well. Ryan Ramchek, their amazing right tackle, uh, seems to have cleared concussion protocol. Uh, he left last week uh, early to that. Uh, it seems like he is going to play as well. Uh, in terms of Saints players who are out, obviously there's uh, Michael Thomas and then Janoris Jenkins. Their cornerback number two is out. He uh, obviously starts opposite Marcus Lattimore. Marcus Lattimore is questionable, so we'll have to see what he does. Again, limited all week. Um, but that's pretty much it in terms of Saints injuries. Um, I guess Janoris Denk- Jenkins not playing is kind of helpful. I've never been like super worried about him, but I mean, it, it's something, I guess. Yeah. It's just a it's just a participation trophy consolation prize at this point. They're they're so healthy, at most of their yeah. important positions, and the Chargers aren't. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that uh, is. I was just gonna say, I guess go ahead, Alex, not right. having to play Janoris Jenkins is okay, but it's like it's not like they don't have corners, right? Uh, and also they added, oh, you know, Malcolm right. Jenkins this season, which I'm still mad about. Uh, so, um, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it is what it is, but uh, I guess not having to go against him would be better. But I don't really think it's a big difference to the secondary, unlike, say, you know, what the Chiefs are, you know, without um, some of their best corners uh, with suspensions and stuff. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. And, you know, if Marcus Latimer plays, you know, the Saints defense doesn't really have any excuses. Um, in terms of the Chargers, it is very unfortunate. But uh, in terms of players who could benefit from having a bye week next week, uh, Brian Belaga and Trey Turner are at the top of that list. They are both out this week. Um, Trey Turner is particularly confusing because uh, Coach Lynn said that he was going to play against the Panthers. Like he flat out said he expects him to play. And then uh, in his press conference on Saturday, he said that his injury was a little more severe than they thought originally. So the bye week definitely will help him uh, and Bulaga as well. I'm not super surprised that Bulaga is not playing. An offensive lineman having a back injury, that just is that's that's not playing. Anytime you see an offensive lineman with a back injury, he's not playing for a couple weeks. Um this is kind of maybe off topic, but I guess a lot of people were asking me, and so I'm gonna ask you guys, do you feel like the Chargers made a mistake signing Brian Bulaga and trading for Trey Turner considering they are not healthy at all? No, I mean, there's. how are you supposed to know that? I mean, I understand that there were injury concerns with both. Um, but your re- reaction to the signing is when you're signing it and your decision based on you know what you should do is how they are in that moment. And in that moment, that move, those both those moves were universally praised. And right. I think you have to, you know, in hindsight, would they be... I mean, what else are you going to do at this point? Like draft a guard? Like who are they going to draft in the four, you know, in the fifth round or something at this point? You know, like if, <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they got, you know, Herbert Murray traded the third and got Kelly, is, is your fifth round right guard going to be any better? Maybe, I suppose. Like and maybe drafting depth would have been better. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's a mistake. And they could very well come back after the bye and, and play well like they, we expect them to. Right. Uh, I think that's spot on. And the thing about their deals is like, even if it doesn't work out and let's say, you know, they do miss a lot of games, they're pretty easy contracts to get out of if the Chargers have to. Um, Trey Turner's only on a two-year deal. Blog is on a three-year deal. I'm not sure exactly how much guaranteed money he has. Um, but it's not like they gave these guys four or five-year deals, right? Where it's just like, it's impossible to get out of if something does go wrong. Um, the thing that concerns me about them is just that it keeps kind of, you know, not the Belago one because he kind of re-aggravated, but the Turner one has kind of kept going for a couple weeks now. And I'm starting to get some Mike Pouncey vibes where it's like, you don't hear anything, you don't hear anything, you don't hear anything. And then bam, he's out for the season. 
Um, so I'm starting to get some of those vibes from that situation, but hopefully he's able to come back um, after the bye and uh, just regroup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hope it's not some Mike Pouncey situation. That would that would not be fun. So the the right guard situation, you know, I've said this on Twitter, I don't love it. Tyree St. Louis at least offers a nice presence, a, a nice physical presence in the run game. Like he really made some plays in week one in the run game. So I, I would rather see Tyree St. Louis out there. Apparently he's going to be the swing guy in terms of guards. Uh, Ryan Groy is going to be starting, which I... I I hate. I don't like it at all. Uh, Groy was unanimous, unanimously our lowest graded player on our quarterly grades. <laughs> so, you know, I'll get to the offensive line later, but uh, not too excited about seeing Ryan Groy. Um, and then the big ones, obviously, are Mike Williams and Joey Bosa. Jeff Miller kind of floated the idea that maybe with a bye next week that the Chargers might hold both of them out. Um, it was obviously speculation. He was not reporting anything, at least to our knowledge, but... Um, I think Mike Williams is going to play. Uh, Joey is concerning because I, I, he popped up today with an ankle injury again. So he's got the tricep and ankle and a knee injury. Uh, Alex, what do you make of you know the, the ramifications of potentially not having Bosa tomorrow? And should he play? Should he sit? Uh, where do you land with the Joey Bosa injury? I mean, the ramifications of not having Bosa are huge because... Not just because of Bosa, but you don't have Ingram either tomorrow, right? So do you yeah. want starting right ends, Isaac Rochelle, and, uh, well, you know, I said Isaac Rochelle, so that was enough, really, <laughs> to try from the point, but it would be Isaac Rochelle. <laughs> Isaac Rochelle and, and Wosu, um, and, and that would, you know, and then maybe some, maybe they put Tillery at defensive end, like uh, you guys have been mentioning on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know if that would be a thing that they consider for this game. But not having Bosa would just be massive, um, especially when you have Breeze, which is like, that's a quarterback, you know, like Brady last week where they didn't really get pressure. You know, if you don't put pressure on him, he can tear you up. So, um, but, you know, you got to get hits. You got to get sacks on him. So not having Bosa would be huge in that regard. Um, I think Mike Williams will try to play. Uh, I think both will try to play as much as they can. Um, I, I think Williams being a limited participant is good instead of being held out. So, I think Williams will probably play um, in the same way he did against. I think he was also limited all week when he against the Panthers, and he still played. But then he came out uh, that game, obviously. Uh, but I mean, he's a tough guy, so I think he'll try to go. I think Bosa will try to go. I think it might be more likely that they hold Bosa out um, just because you know they really can't risk him having a serious, serious injury. Yeah, I'm I'm much more confident in Mike Williams playing right now, um, just because of his personal history and, and like you mentioned, you know, we've seen this season how he's kind of uh defied the odds, so to speak, to to come back. But, you know, if the Chargers do play Joey Bosa and he, you know, kind of worsens these injuries and then he has to miss in an extended amount of time, uh, that would you know, that would be, you know, the worst possible scenario because then you're without Ingram, Bosa, Austin Eckler, Derwin James, you're drinking all these guys, right? And Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler have, and Justin Herbert obviously have been able to kind of hold the glue together right now. But if you lose Bosa, I'm not confident in Isaac Rochelle's ability to be a starter at all. And then, you know, today, uh, Jesse Lemonier popped up on the injury report as well. So they, they could potentially be calling up Joe Gaziano to make his debut. Uh, I, I don't really know. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see about that tomorrow. Yeah, I mentioned this on Twitter, and you kind of highlighted this uh, a little bit before, Alex. If Joey can't play, Jerry Tillery needs to start a defensive end. And then you start Damian Square, defensive tackle. You know, Cortez Broughton or Bruffton or however you say it uh, can play, you know, in uh, Damian Square's role. But, you know, the idea of <laughs> of seeing Isaac Rochelle out there for 60 snaps, man, uh, and then Joe Gaziano being his backup, it just... Uh, I wanted this team to draft an edge rusher late, at least, you know, have, have some kind of depth behind these two. But, you know, if Jerry Tillery is not playing defensive end, this is going to be a long, long game. The Saints offensive tackles are arguably the best two, the best combination in the league. They have combined to give up one sack this year, just one and only seven pressures between the two of them. So not having Bosa would obviously be, you know, a huge, huge loss for the Chargers tomorrow night. Yeah, Isaac Rochelle has been a total non-factor since we were worried about him last year 
and then we're worried about it again this year, and, and just still continues to be a non-factor, uh, at least on defense. On special teams, I know he has a role, he's a leader, but that doesn't sack Drew Brees. So unfortunately, we're kind of stuck with... <laughs> uh, listen, like we guys are talking about, I, I think Williams and Bosa will both play. They're two guys that I don't really see as guys that'll just kind of take the week off kind of guys. You know, I know Williams pushes, yeah. Bosa definitely pushes, but again, if Bosa... It's hard to say because this whole questionable thing, you know, we don't have probable anymore. I mean, for all we know, Joey Bosa could technically just be probable with like a little knee tweak and a little ankle tweak. It's not the case, yeah. but we don't quite know what questionable means. I'm glad it's not doubtful at least. So it's not like he's he's limping onto the field every play. Um, but the Chargers, yeah, they're they're in a tough spot for sure. I do think they do have plans. I know it's just, just a practice squad move, but I do think they do have plans to move Tillery outside and swap with Bosa occasionally because they signed that guy to their practice squad. So maybe they elevate another guy and let you know Tillery go to the outside. Square plays on the inside. Who knows? So uh, yeah, hopefully they don't. Hopefully they don't lose him. And then Denzel Perryman, uh, just a minor wrist injury. Seems like he's a full go. Right. Good call. But uh, still, hopefully he's okay because he's been he's been one of the few playmakers on defense so far. Yeah, shockingly, he's he's been. According to PFF, the best linebacker on the team. So uh, Denzel has certainly played well. I do want to mention, I saw some people last week saying that the team should have moved Joey around a little bit more. Um, you know, Daniel Popper pointed this out. It is his right tricep that has been bothering him. And so it's it's much easier to kind of use your outside hand as a pass rusher to you know do all your pass rush moves. And so um, if he plays, he will be exclusively going against Ryan Ramchek. Um, which, you know, I'm excited to watch. Obviously, I would have loved to see them both healthy, but um, do not do not expect Joey to be moving around all that much. Last week, it was Uchenna Unwosu who was going over the guards and kind of searching out some mismatches. Um, but, you know, it's going to be tough without Joey Bosa. So uh, that'll do it for our injury report recap. Uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, but we did have a big interview with the Draft Network's head draft analyst, Jordan Reed. Uh, he was able to join me earlier this week and i was able to interview and, and ask him some good questions about justin herbert what should the chargers do in the draft next year yes i know it's early but you know i love the draft so much and so getting to interview jordan reed about this was was a lot of fun so uh take a listen all right guys so happy now to be joined by jordan reed uh very uh popular twitter follow obviously because of his work for the draft network as the senior nfl draft analyst uh jordan how you doing man Good. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm so happy to be here with you to talk some quarterbacks. Obviously, yourself as a former Division One uh, quarterback, you know, uh, you know, one of the best guys to go to in terms of quarterback. And uh, yesterday we had some big news from uh, from the Chargers head coaching staff, and, and you know, Justin Herbert has been elevated to the starting quarterback going forward. Um, I want to revisit, though, quickly. What did you see out of Justin Herbert out of college? What did you like? What were some kind of areas of concern? And uh, maybe what have you seen from his uh, three NFL starts that has kind of uh, you know, influenced your opinion of him now? Yeah, well, Justin was a really interesting case just because he was an early starter at Oregon. And it's something that you rarely see, especially at such a prominent program. But um, I loved a lot of things that I saw from him. Of course, he has the prototypical size that you're looking for. I think that's one of the biggest areas that a lot of people really had a lot of interest in him. And size has kind of been something that's been um, not as much important as we've seen in previous years, just because, you know, guys like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson have kind of debunked that a little bit as far as just looking at the size, but it's just evaluating the prospect as a whole. Um, Justin Herbert, Herbert, he had fantastic arm strength. That's one of the biggest things that stands out about him. And you guys have seen it yeah. early on in his career. He had a gorgeous throw. Um, a couple of weeks ago down in the middle of the field, that was about like 60 or 65 yards. That was on the dime. So he has the arm strength that you're looking for. But I think the smarts is the biggest thing that you love about him. He has a very high football IQ. And just watching him live down at the Senior Bowl, that really was my first time really seeing him throw in person. You saw some of the leadership qualities that a lot of people had a lot of questions about him. He kind of has that reserved, laid-back personality. But he's more of a lead-by-example type of guy. And that's okay. I think he was kind of unfairly knocked for that yeah. a lot during his pre-draft process. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things that a lot of people had questions about him was if you place him in an NFL locker room, could he really be a leader? And he's, he's done that so far. And I think the guys have really done a good job of really galvanizing towards his personality. And of course, if he goes out there and proves that he can be the guy, which he has done to this point, in my opinion, I think that's something that's only going to get better for him going forward. But I think the biggest thing that has been a big, a big surprise about Herbert that 
I think a lot of people really didn't notice on his college film just because he was he was kind of mismanaged at Oregon. And what I mean by mismanaged is that he just wasn't in a system that enabled him to show off how good of a player he right. was just because the system at Oregon is very east-west oriented. There's a lot of quick throws, a lot of perimeter screens to the perimeter, and a lot of quick throws on the outside. But I always said if he was placed in a situation with a vertical offense, you're really going to see just how good he can be. And I think he's benefited from that early on. He has, and I think that's spot on. And, you know, he really has a nice a nice relationship budding with Keenan Allen. And, uh, you know, that touchdown pass a couple of weeks ago to him, you know, was was a good thing to see. I've been most impressed, though, with his ability to handle pressure. Um, was that maybe a concern that you had of him coming out of Oregon? And what have you seen from him now that uh, maybe is different? It wasn't a huge concern just because he's proven to be a very athletic guy. And if you go back and watch the last game of his career uh, in the bowl game, he showed just how, how good his wheels can be, especially in the open field. He's a guy that does a really good job of eluding pressure. So the athleticism standpoint really wasn't something that really worried me a whole bunch with him. I think it was just a, a situation of where not really knowing where to go as far as his hot reads, just because the offense was so um, quick quick passing game oriented he has some struggles with knowing exactly knowing where to go with his hot reads and just how to get out of blitzes so it wasn't a huge concern with me it just was a matter of knowing exactly where to go with the ball but I always say with these young quarterbacks they have to have athleticism entering the league just because you know the charge the offensive line situation isn't great so he has to be able to overcompensate overcome that with his athleticism being able to use his legs being able to extend plays outside of the pocket which he has done a good job of so far yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. You mentioned the offensive line, and we'll get to them later. Um, I want to talk about this decision, though, because, you know, Anthony Lynn, as, as the Chargers head coach, had said uh, after the, the week two game against the Kansas City Chiefs that if Tyrod Taylor was healthy, he was going to be the starting quarterback. And then obviously uh, that has changed. <laughs> what do you think of that situation and the way that the Chargers handled it? And do you think that if they had really gone back to Tyrod Taylor – do you think that would have affected Justin Herbert's psyche in a negative way? I don't think it would have affected him much just because he understands the situation that he walked into with Tyrod being the bridge. And this isn't a foreign situation to Tyrod as well. I mean, he did it in, I believe it was in Buffalo where he was the guy ahead of Josh Allen before he eventually took over that spot there. So Tyrod understands exactly what type of situation that he was walking through the door with, with the charges when they ended up selecting Herbert after signing him. So, he knows what's going on, but there's kind of like this unspoken rule in football of where you don't lose your spot to injury. And I think yeah. that's kind of what Anthony Lynn was going by with this decision, just because everybody knows that Justin Herbert is, he's going to have the keys of the future of the franchise turned over to him eventually. And Lynn was kind of abiding by that rule a little bit more than what you would like, but it was just a situation of where Herbert was making so many plays. Like a lot of people were going to run him out of the city if they didn't, if he didn't play him the yeah. next week, just because <laughs> he's already the future of the franchise. And, like with these young franchise quarterbacks, you just it's kind of like you just want to see more from them, especially when they're making so many flash plays. And it would have been a stopgap from that more if he would have put Tyrod back out there. And we know that Herbert has much more upside than what what Tyrod has shown to this point in his career. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's spot on. And, I, you know, this isn't related to the Chargers, obviously, but I would love to get your thoughts on on, on what is happening in Washington with Dwayne Haskins. And yeah. I know that it hasn't been a good situation for him. He's had some good games, some bad games. Um, but it, it just seemed like from the outside looking in, I'm not a quarterback expert. Uh, it just seemed like they didn't really give him a fair chance. What did you make of the the, the whole situation and benching him for uh, Kyle Allen? Yeah, so I haven't actually been able to speak on this publicly, and I kind of was selective with my tweets about it as well just before I got the pro- proper information about it. So uh, with Haskins, I just think it was a situation of where he wasn't really Ron Rivera's guy, and he knew that he was going to give this guy a chance, but it was just a situation of where he wasn't his guy. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons why they traded for Kyle Allen, just so they could have that security blanket behind him. And we know that Washington has always been a debacle with their quarterback situations. Dan Snyder that's on that team from RG three to Kirk cousins to some of these other guys that they have had in the center that have shown some promise. So Haskins is just the latest guy along those lines, but Haskins, he just hasn't been very good this year, but, I think he kind of – you have to kind of give him a mulligan with that just because outside of Terry McLaurin, he really doesn't have much to work work with there. So he just doesn't have a bunch of weapons to help him out, especially being a young quarterback. I think that's one of the biggest reasons between him 
and Herbert right now, as far as Herbert has Mike Williams, he has Keenan Allen, he has Hunter Henry, he has all these weapons to his disposal, and outside of Terry McLaurin, Haskins just doesn't have that. Yeah, that that is true. You know, it's just you know a, a product of the environment sometimes, and unfortunately, Dwayne just has not gotten a, a fair shakeout. Um, in terms of this year, obviously the coronavirus has you know run rampant through college football and the NFL. Um, there's been you know, a bunch of notable college football players that have decided to opt out, including Panay Sewell, Gregory Rousseau from Miami. How does them opting out impact you guys? Because, you know, obviously you still have to evaluate them. Panay Sewell is arguably a top five pick in terms of talent. Uh, is there concern with these guys who are opting out that, you know, maybe, you know, we haven't seen them in a while? Like, where, where do you guys land on players who are opting out right now? Uh, I think it's just a situation of a case-by-case basis, honestly. With Gregory Rousseau, obviously, he's going to be a little bit different from Michael Parsons just because the sample size is a little bit different. Parsons has played two years as opposed to Rousseau. Rousseau has only played one. I don't really count his freshman year just because he only played three games with the ankle injury prior to being sidelined to that. So you really have to evaluate the sample size. But some guys, I mean, you've seen enough. Like, I didn't need to see another year of Michael Parsons. I already know what he is but with Rousseau was a little bit different just because he's a guy that really isn't the sum of his parts right now and we don't know if that production really was fool's gold in a sense and what I mean by fool's gold is he goes out he has a really big year his first year and then he comes out and he kind of regresses back to the mean a little yeah. bit during that second year so the sample size is it, I think it's decent with Rousseau but whenever a guy is you know 6'6 260 pounds and he put up 19 and 19 uh, tackles for loss and then 15 and a half sacks. Of course, he's going to be drafted high just because of the intrigue with them. So the sample size is something that you always worry about, but there's just some guys that you've seen enough. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense, uh, especially about Parsons. And uh, I would put Penesul in that category as well. So uh, I wanted you to put your Tom Telesco hat on here. You know, you obviously have your franchise quarterback. You know, the Chargers offensive line has been an issue really, you know, arguably since Nick Hardwick retired in 2012. Um, <laughs> Mike Williams is possibly uh, moving on in, in a year or two and maybe Hunter Henry as well. So if you're Tom Telesco and you're staring, like, let's say in the 10 to 15 range, are you drafting an offensive lineman? Are you drafting, you know, a guy like Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase? What would you do in that situation if knowing that you have Justin Herbert and your franchise quarterback? So I think Telesco is in a really interesting spot, and I think this defense is fully loaded, but I think edge rusher might be another circumstance that they might face themselves with yeah. uh, just because I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to pay Bosa and Ingram. I just don't see that being able to happen just because both of those guys are at the top of their positions right now. But just stand on subject with the offensive side of the ball, I put a receiver in that spot. I had him going Devonta Smith um, in my latest mock draft. I think that would be a really good spot. For him as well so I think it comes down to receiver or offensive tackle but I think offensive tackle really would be more prevalent just because the Chargers have suffered so many injuries man I just <laughs> yeah. don't know what's going on there the luck has just been terrible from you know Pouncey to a forest lamp uh, fortunately he's been pretty good this year for the most part from just the outside looking in but prior to this yeah. year he's just been so the injury bug has really struck him so bad so I think there's a situation I would love for them to get a left tackle like a Samuel Cosme from Texas I think that's a guy I think will be a really good fit depending on where they're picking. I don't think they're going to be in contention for Penesul because I think he's going to be a top five pick. I don't really see in, see the Chargers really earning a spot that high. Uh, I think they're going to end up probably a top 15 to 20. I think that's fair to say for the Chargers, but I just don't see them being in contention for Penesul. But Samuel Cosme is one that I absolutely love for them. Um, there's an FCS prospect that's probably going to rise here uh, over the next couple months or so, Dylan Radance from North Dakota State, who I think is going to be commonly pegged to the Chargers, depending on where they're selecting. So Cosme and Radance are definitely two guys that I would love to see Tom Tom Telesco take a chance on. Absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of Samuel Cosme as well. Um, you know, Alex Leatherwood has been a guy that's connected, well, not connected, but obviously mocked draft uh, a few times to, to the Chargers as well. Um, in terms of this, just in general, you know, the receiver class last year was, and we'll get you out of here on this one, but the receiving class last year was so good. It was so deep. Uh, you know, maybe the Chargers go down that avenue this year. Maybe they don't. Um, you know, sitting here in October, what are your overall thoughts on the receiving class for 2021? It's crazy to say, but I think it might be even better than last year. And we saw wow. guys like Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, and even Justin Jefferson making a huge impact already. And it, I, I wouldn't even go as far to say I think there's more depth in this class as well. Now, there might not be superstar talent at the top 
like last year, like last year's class, excuse me, because we knew the top three guys were Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb. But I think Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson should have formally been in that conversation. We see how big of an impact he's made with the Vikings. But yeah. with the Alabama guys, uh, we're talking about, you know, um, Jalen Waddle, who I think is a superstar. Uh, Devonta Smith, who is a superstar. And there's plenty of other receivers around the country as well that are playing really good right now that I think could go on to have really good careers. So even if Telesco doesn't want to take one early, he's going to have his pick of the litter after that. Well, that is good to hear, and we'll look forward to seeing how that pans out. And uh, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to continue to read all your uh, mock drafts and everything like that. I'm I'm a sucker for mock drafts. So uh, thanks again for your time, and we look forward to uh, seeing the rest of your work the rest of the way. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview with Jordan Reed. You know, I think he's super knowledgeable. He was obviously a, a former college quarterback, and, you know, it was fun picking his brain. And just kind of highlighting what, you know, the three of us feel, right? That Justin Herbert has made so much progress uh, as a starter. And, uh, you know, Tyler didn't get the chance to kind of talk about him being named the starter. Uh, Tyler was obviously, you know, kind of the captain of the Tyrod Taylor ship. Uh, what did you uh, what did you think about Justin Herbert officially being named the starter and, and the progress that he has made from what we all watched at, at Oregon? Uh, as far as him being named the starter, it was the right move. I'm thankful that they did. Um I like Tyrod Taylor. Obviously, I like Tyrod Taylor. I wanted him to start. But at this point, you know, how nice is it kind of that the Chargers get to start Herbert and then they get a whole bye week to go with Herbert to help learn this offense so much more? Um, He's made – it's not even the same quarterback or the same system. Like everyone's like, you know, thinking, oh, I know you didn't like Herbert. People are calling people out for not liking Herbert. You didn't get to see really any of this. And it's credit to the coaching staff for not only developing him so quickly – and getting him up to speed so quickly and having the offense take the next step every week, but also letting him push the ball down the field. Like, I'm almost shocked. Like, you're supposed to do that with Herbert. He's got the arm. You can do that. I'm just surprised that he's chucking the ball down deep to, you know, two undrafted free agents and a XFL tight end, you know, and they're giving him the opportunities to make these big-time throws and these big-time decisions. And it's been really impressive. So huge credit to him. I had him as a late first-round grade. Obviously, we all knew they would go earlier because that's just the nature of the quarterback position. Um, so far, the class looks pretty good, except for Tua, because Fitzpatrick just continues to be excellent, apparently. Um, but Herbert overall, I'm impressed. And I, I can't believe that the Chargers, you know, if they drafted, not technically they didn't draft Rivers, but, you know, they had Rivers in 2004. They had Breeze before that. And they might just go to Herbert for the next 15 years, which means, you know, we could be 2035. We're talking about the next time the Chargers could draft a quarterback, which means we've gone 30 years. We've gone 30 years with good quarterback, solid, consistent quarterback play, which is amazing. So the fact that, that in three games, we, I know it's early. Yeah. Yeah. But you can just kind of see it. And he's set up on yeah. a team where yeah. he's set up for success. There's a lot of talent on this team. Despite the offensive line being hurt, when everybody gets healthy, it's actually a pretty decent offensive line. You know, he's set up for success. He's I think he's going to be the offensive rookie of the year because if he continues to play the rest of the games and not get hurt because Burrow didn't look all that good and he's not on a winning team. So if Herbert can go on Monday Night Football and win in New Orleans, even if it's not completely his, you know, because of him, front runner for offensive rookie of the year. I know CeeDee Lamb's got a lot of attention, but he's the Herbert's the quarterback, the number six overall pick. So, I mean, right. how, how, how and I just got to add that Murray, the fact that Murray is also a guy who... I think Daniel Jeremiah had him in the top 20 of rookies. So the fact that Telesco hit two home runs potentially with his first two first round picks, or his only two first round picks, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. And, you know, you talk about the rookie of the year thing, which we'll obviously talk about throughout the season, but I feel like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, you know, at worst are going to put up similar stats, right? And, and, you know, we've kind of seen that throughout the, the season so far. But, you know, if Justin Herbert can win, you know, seven, eight games, you know, obviously that would never be a, a feather in his cap. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed talking with Jordan Reed because, you know, he highlighted really what his strengths are and what everybody kind of in, in the draft world could tell. And, you know, you could see the potential in terms of a vertical passing game. And we saw that come to fruition on Sunday against the Buccaneers. And he was able to connect, you know, on some beautiful, beautiful plays with these, with Tyron Johnson, who, you know, if Mike Williams doesn't play, I'm excited to see Tyron Johnson again. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, he was obviously elevated to the 53-man roster, so super excited for him. But Justin Herbert, man, you know, they're really kind of – it's been a, a, a slow 
you know, ease into the playbook, you know, obviously under those circumstances, you can't fully unleash a quarterback into the playbook. But last week we saw seven or eight RPOs. You know, he, he threw one to Keenan Allen. He, he faked a pitch to Josh, Joshua Kelly and then ran one. And then obviously the, the, the deep throws and, and those were, you know, I, I want to say like five or six calls as well. So uh, I'm really excited to see where they go from here on out with Justin Herbert and how he's able to progress. And, and, you know, he keeps on saying what a great opportunity, right? And Monday night football, you know, there's no better opportunity to have, you know, to show the world, like I'm legit. I'm the Chargers franchise quarterback. I'm going to come out here and ball out and uh, just really excited to see how he continues to grow. And especially tomorrow night. Did rivers ever beat breeze? I think maybe like the first game when New Orleans, when the Saints were not in New Orleans, I think they played mm-hmm. when they were playing in Oklahoma. It's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. They have not been the Saints. They don't play super often, right. which is why they're, they obviously do the, the preseason stuff together. But it has been a while since the Chargers have beaten the Saints. Uh, Alex, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, imagine going back to when we had that draft party and, you know, poor Jason uh, <laughs> poor Jason had his hands <laughs> in his face and everyone was depressed. It was like a funeral. And imagine going back to that time and saying, hey, Justin Herbert's going to have equal rookie of the year odds with Joe Burrow. Um, right. <laughs> that's yeah. just, it's just crazy how quickly um, things have changed. Yeah, and give uh, things... Go ahead, Tom. No, I just was going to say credit to coaching because on the one hand, we're like, oh my gosh, Justin Herbert, we got Herbert, eh, could be mediocre, who knows, but it's all up to the coaching. And of course, because of coaching and because of who he is as a prospect, and the, the Chargers knew it and we didn't, um, he's offensive rookie of the year potential. And whereas the other guy we wanted, Isaiah Simmons, the coaching staff can't figure out how to use him. You know, and that's the other yeah. guy that we wanted. So it's really, it's just kind of been amazing. Like, even though we were all kind of down on it, it all came down to coaching and situation and Herbert's been in the great one. Yeah. Poor Isaiah Simmons, man. He's playing 11 snaps a game down there in Arizona. It's just, you know, Alex loved Isaiah Simmons and it's just been so sad to see them wasting his time. He had right one now. bad game at linebacker in the beginning and then they were just like, okay, well we're just going to give him 11 snaps a game at linebacker instead of like trying him at safety or any of the other good things he does. And I'm just like, what the, <laughs> what the hell are you guys doing? Like you have a generational no. talent, <laughs> uh, but I'm hurt. It's, it's confusing. And now they lost Chandler Jones today. So, you know, the injuries continue around the league. So uh, I would love to see Isaiah Simmons get some more run out there and, you know, the Arizona defense is, is bad, especially without Chandler Jones now. Um, so we'll get into our keys to the game now. We each have chosen two that we're going to highlight, um, and then we'll do predictions. So you know, I'm, I'm really excited for this game. You know, I, I'm expecting uh, this to be kind of a shootout. The uh, over-under right now, I think, is 52 points. Uh, if you are betting on the game, I would bet on the over. Um, I'm not a betting man, but you're know, just kind of seeing how this has played out. I think this is going to be an over. Uh, so we'll start with Alex, your uh, two keys to the game. You know, the Chargers are going to win if they do what? Uh, first one is holding Alvin Kamara in check. Uh, as we mentioned with the Raiders game, also, uh, you know, in some of the other games, just in the last couple of years, the Saints are a totally different team when he's held in check and not going off versus, you know, when he's going crazy. And we saw the Chargers have a lot of problems with Ronald Jones last week. Um, just getting big chunk plays, you know, five, six yards of carry and um, really giving them problems. So, you know, if Alvin Kamara has that kind of week, uh, the Chargers are really in a bad position. So if they can hold him in check and, you know, maybe they hold him to four yards per carry and uh, he doesn't get that involved in the receiving game, I can see them. Um, I could see them, you know, winning this game for sure. But, you know, it's really... Uh, without Thomas, they're going to lean heavily, I think, on Kamara. So that's one of them. The other one is uh, putting pressure on Drew Brees. Um, we mentioned it with Brady uh, kind of last week, and then they didn't get any pressure on Brady. Um, so that kind of really doomed them in that Tampa game. But, you know, Brees is affected by pressure more than a lot of other quarterbacks, uh, specifically when it comes to sacks. So Breeze's completion percentage is actually 1% lower in games when he gets sacks versus the average uh, for a quarterback is 0.5% lower when they take a sack. So, you know, if you get sacks and you get pressure on Breeze, um, it could affect, you know, two or three, you know, throws uh, a game. And uh, that's big when talking about throws in the fourth quarter, throws uh, in the red zone, right? So 
Uh, I think getting pressure on Breeze uh, and getting sacks specifically, which this defense has had trouble doing the last two weeks, um, in addition to stopping Kamara, those would be my two keys uh, for this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Chargers pass rush has, has kind of, you know, gone in the opposite direction in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the health factor of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa is huge there. Gus Bradley did say on Friday that he's ready to, quote, unleash Kenneth Murray. Um, I would love if that meant as a pass rusher because we saw him have some success at Oklahoma with that. Um, but obviously, you know, that isn't really Gus Bradley's MO. Um, <laughs> Tyler, what are your two ga- your two keys to the game? Excuse me. Yeah, so the first one for me is winning the penalty battle. So the Saints have actually been called for 28 penalties. The Chargers have been called for 27. The difference is the Saints have been called, or they've given up in terms of penalty yards, 398 yards, whereas the Chargers just 195. In particular, they've been called for 11 defensive pass interferences, which is four more than Ooh. the next worst team. So I do think that the Chargers have some speed to make, to force those defensive pass interferences, you know, hopefully get some chunk splash plays out of that or get a defensive pass interference, who knows. But I believe all three, oh no, Jenkins isn't playing. But all, all three of their starting DBs, if Jenkins were playing, they each had, I think, three defensive pass, pass interferences each. So this is a team that you could kind of force to make stupid errors. And they did that against the Raiders. Like they were grabbing and holding. They looked terrible against the Raiders. And I right. think the Chargers could make, you know, force those errors as well. Gabe Neighbors needs to not go out there and screw up two <laughs> punt returns. I mean, some of the watching him commit those penalties, it wasn't even like, you know, kind of a ticky tack, illegal block in the back, whatever. Like he tried to like maul people over and then pick, like he, he was fighting with the other person for no reason. It's, it's freaking punting chill like just block and that's it i don't know what he was thinking um so hopefully neighbors doesn't come out and make those stupid mistakes um the other one for me i'm gonna change it up i was gonna think of something else um but i'm just gonna say play with energy because this team is going to be shorthanded the saints are the better the, right now they're the healthier team they're probably the better team um and certainly maybe at this point the more complete team and i just think the Chargers have to win somehow and i think they got to win with energy you know the same way they came out and, and kind of just walloped the Packers last year. We didn't expect that at all. But they came out and they were just firing on all cylinders. Of course, it helps that Joey Bosa and Ingram are both healthy and they were crushing the, you know, the tackles of the Packers. But, you know, energy can go a long way. And if they can find someone to spark, you know, I mean, yeah, Herbert's a spark. But they need something else on defense, something to spark. And, you know, yeah. as Alex referenced, you know, you got to get pressure on Breeze and you got to stop Kamara. And if that's Kenneth Murray this game and if the rookie balls out and he is really unleashed as we hope, he will be by Gus Bradley. Maybe he's the energy this team needs because this team needs to come out. If they come out flat, it's over. They're just, they're just going to get you know frustrated. It is going to be a very frustrating game. Breeze, I know he can't chuck the ball very far, but he's not going to. Hope, I don't think he's going to turn over many. You know, throw too many interceptions. He's not going to get sacked a bunch. Kamara's going to leak out of the backfield, get a tons of first downs. You know, so they have they have to keep that energy going. They can't get discouraged by these plays. And um, yeah, energy and winning the penalty battle. That's that's mine. I think those are two really good calls and you know, the penalties you know, outside of the game neighbor thing, the offensive line, which I'm going to talk about now, the penalties from the offensive line have always come in the red zone. I don't know what it is, but you know, these penalties for the chargers offensive linemen have been drive killers. And that really hurt them against the Panthers specifically, you know, the illegal hands to the face from Roy and illegal hands to the face from Feeney, uh, you know, a holding from Sam Tevy against the chiefs. So I don't care if you have a penalty and, and you know, you're, you know, you're at midfield, but like, please don't have penalties in the red zone. That is the one place that you absolutely cannot afford to have them. Um, So the offensive line, I thought they played a little bit better last week. Um, they still obviously struggled against the Buccaneers blitz calls on occasion. Um, Justin Herbert was still pressured way too much, but he was pressured 21 times against the Panthers. And I think 11 against the Buccaneers. So, you know, everyone kind of laughed at Anthony Lynn saying that he had a plan, uh, it didn't work to perfection, but it, it was better. And that needs to continue this week. The Saints blitz a lot as well. Um, they blitz more on third down than the Buccaneers do on second and first down. So that, that that's a little different. But, you know, the Saints also have Cameron Jordan, who is historically one of the more underrated defensive ends in this league. He's been highly productive his entire career, and he's going up against Trey Pipkins. So, you know, Trey Pipkins, I was a big believer in him in the offseason. We've seen every kind of version of Trey Pipkins, right? He played great against the Chiefs. He played awful against the Panthers. And then he played okay against the Buccaneers. I'm hoping we can get 
a good version, like a little bit better than last week. Maybe I would take in between great and good. I would take average, honestly. Um, but the offensive line definitely needs to continue to improve. It, it seems like they're kind of hoping for some continuity at right guard can help that cause with Ryan Groy instead of Tyree St. Louis. Either way, the offensive line needs to be better. Weirdly, the left side has been uh, pretty good for the Chargers so far with Sam Tevy and Forrest Lamp. Um, Dan Feeney should have a much better game because the Saints don't have a nose tackle like Vita Vea. Um, but overall, the offensive line needs to play better. And the running backs need to play better. You know, Austin Eckler's not on this team anymore. And he makes up for so many discrepancies of the offensive line because of his vision, because of how slippery he is. And we didn't see that from Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson last week. And, you know, I highlighted this on Twitter. There were several opportunities that they had to break big runs and they just, it's this weird thing that Joshua Kelly does sometimes where he just kind of sticks his head down and just buries into defenders and he'll gain two yards. Like he doesn't lose yards, which I guess is positive considering Melvin Gordon would lose two yards (laughs) on similar plays. (laughs) Um, but, you know, Joshua Kelly, like in week one, we didn't see those kind of things. And his vision was so clear and he was so explosive as a runner and as a receiver. Um, if Joshua Kelly, you know, isn't averaging four or five yards a carry, I think this is going to be a long day for the Chargers because, you know, I would like to think the Chargers can rely on big plays. But, you know, we we know in the NFL that's not going to be a weekly occurrence where you have two 60-yard passes, especially now that the Saints have seen that film. They know what Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton can do almost exclusively run deep nine routes. So, you know, I expect the Saints to make some adjustments. And if the Chargers want to win, I think Joshua Kelly and and Justin Jackson have to, I'm not going to say that's a run for over 100 yards combined, but they have to make it a threat. And, you know, you can't afford to give the Saints the opportunity to basically just drop eight into coverage and say, okay, Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly beat us because they're just, they're not enough of of a groove right now. And so those two have to step up and the offensive line has to step up if the Chargers are going to win. Those are great calls. I mean, really good calls. Eckler in particular is going to be, it's oh, like, it's it's going to be so hard to miss him. Or it's not hard to miss him. It's going to be tough without him. And yeah. I believe among the three of us, he was the number one graded starter that we had. And, you know, not Donald Parham getting a 10 doesn't count. <laughs> you know, so, so Eckler, I mean, just... You, you you really saw it last week. I know that you know Jackson and Kelly didn't exactly get a ton of carries and touches to be able to you know work and build up some sort of rhythm. But you know Eckler is a guy who makes this offensive line look so much better. He especially you know get the Chiefs and the Panthers getting yards kind of out of nowhere and overachieving quite a bit. And I know Pro Football Focus is, but you know again they grade him they grade him very well because and I actually believe it because he's he's overachieving, breaking tackles, making yeah. plays. He's reliable. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Hopefully they can make up for it. But I think we all saw the same thing against the Buccaneers. Joshua Kelly just takes the ball and then misses the hole or just drives right into the center. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing? How did you – what was the place – I mean, we all, I'm glad you actually found this, Stephen, because, you know, we all kind of expected and kind of hated that, you know, Steichen came out and they ran the ball two times and then tried to throw it or whatever happened. But if you execute, it's not just a run up the middle two times in a row. There's actually something else there that he missed. So that was a really good call by you. And then Justin Jackson, I have, I expect more from him, but I have no idea what kind of you know physical state he's in right now. He looked slow. He looks kind of confused. Did. It was very, very strange. So I, And I just don't know how much you can fix that in a week. So we'll see. It did seem like he was almost hesitant to hit the holes too, which maybe kind of highlights, you know, maybe he wasn't super healthy, but you know, if Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are able to kind of hit a couple of those holes that I mentioned and the Chargers were were able to get, you know, maybe like 35 or 40 yards rushing instead of like 18, I think that's a big difference in the game. Um Alex, did you have any other thoughts about uh, maybe some keys to the game or something that you're trying to keep an eye on? Um, I, you know, Tyler kind of mentioned Donald Parham there. Uh, you know, we gave him our 10 grades but uh, from the guiltiest charge scale. But, you know, uh, I think Parham is a big piece in uh, just getting other players involved, right? You might not have uh, Mike Williams tomorrow. You're not going to have Austin Eckler. So it's going to be about getting those guys that the Saints don't know uh, involved, like... Uh, Donald Parham, like maybe they aren't super keen on Tyron Johnson yet because it's just been one week, um, right? So just getting all of those types of guys, maybe Justin Jackson breaking a couple plays, 
Uh, Herbert maybe using his legs somehow, you know, stuff like that where I think is like, all right, you know, get some of these guys and get some of the stuff that the Saints don't know about the Chargers yet Um, because I think you're going to need to be creative, you know, to beat the Saints since we've kind of established that the Saints should win this game and are the better team. So I think you're going to have to show them something that uh, they haven't seen. Yeah, and, you know, I was really excited to see that Donald Parham touchdown. I was a little annoyed that he didn't play the rest of the game. Um, so I would love to see him and Hunter Henry be involved really heavily in this game. I think, you know, defensively, the saints are pretty weak up the middle. Um, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, he's a very versatile safety, but he's kind of, he's really struggling in covering tight ends right now. And, uh, Darren Waller obviously exposed that about him, but you know, the saints have given up a lot of yards and touchdowns to tight ends. So, um, I don't know if we're going to see a ton of explosive plays deep, um, this game. I think it's going to be more of like a slice and dice in the intermediate range, which is going to beat the saints because I think Hunter Henry, Donald Parham, Keen Allen over the middle. I think those three are really going to be what kind of determines uh, if the Chargers offense is, is moving the ball. And obviously like we mentioned all the other keys. So uh, Tyler, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? That's it for me. Cool. Well, sounds good. Uh, like I said, hopefully you guys enjoyed this extra episode. You know, it was a lot of fun kind of planning this together and thankfully it worked out Hopefully the Chargers win. Uh, hopefully Joey Bosa plays and, uh, I'm just really excited to see Justin Herbert again. It is, you know, if they lose, it's going to suck. But at the end of the day right now is all about Justin Herbert and his development. And, uh, hopefully the NFL can get a handle on COVID as well and kind of pull their heads out of their asses. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, well, that'll do it for today's episode. Make sure as always to follow us on social media at GC podcast 17 at Tyler Shoon, at Alex Landsdorf, and at Stephen I. Hagland. That'll do it. We'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.